Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. This week, as part of Women in Tech Month, I've got two guests with me. Now, they're the co-founders of a business called Beam Australia. Their names are Stephanie Roos and Victoria Stewart. Beam's a HR tech company, an online marketplace for part-time professionals looking for flexible work with high-profile employees. Equally, it's for employers who are looking for part-time employees. They work with some of Australia's largest organisations to provide innovative programs and practical tech solutions to implement more flexible and inclusive future-ready workforces. Now, right now, post-COVID, the structural change to the way we work and who works for us, the amount of hours they work for us is going to be high, high, high on our agenda. So this is a must-listen-to podcast. Stephanie and Victoria were struggling to balance their own demanding corporate leadership jobs with equally demanding family duties. That's right, they both got three kids and saw a gap in the marketplace for high-profile business women, professional athletes, carers, and others looking for the flexibility of part-time employment who were dropping out of the workforce simply because they couldn't work full-time. Or maybe they didn't want to work full-time. Having both come from corporate executive roles, Stephanie and Victoria knew this talent was invaluable and they were determined to help businesses to do flexible working hours better than has been done in the past. Since it was established in 2016, Beam has contributed over $17 million in new salaries to the Australian economy through new jobs that couldn't have been created without part-time work. Today, I want to ask Stephanie and Victoria about how they see businesses embracing this new workplace flexibility post-COVID to ensure that businesses survive, that their employees thrive, that they work the most efficiently and economic in terms of employment and outcomes for the business. This is not part of the COVID evolution in the workplace structure. It's more of a revolution against the agreed structures from the past. We love a revolution. So let's get into it. Stephanie Roos and Victoria Stewart, welcome to The Mentor. Thank Thanks you. For having us. Now, your business is called Beam. I'm actually very curious as to where the word Beam came from. Yeah, so actually it refers to um, beaming a light on hidden talent. Um, and w- we can obviously come to that later, but essentially, you know, Beam is about unlocking more work options for people to be able to participate in the workforce, um, as well as being able to provide more balance to people's lives. So that balance, balance beam. beam. That's yep. what I thought of. I thought of balance beam as soon as I saw Beam. Yeah. That, uh, that was the image that came into my head. I'm glad you didn't say shine a light. God, I hate that saying. You know, like, you know, you're in these meetings, corporate meetings these days, and someone goes, well, let's just uh, 
shine a light on that issue right now. <laughs> and uh, you know, so those sayings of people having business. Buzzwords. Holding yeah, hands buzzwords. around these. kills me. Yeah. Um, anyway, shine a beam. <laughs> At least you went that far. Yeah. Okay, well, before we sort of talk about the business of beam and how it's running and all the plans, et cetera, um, I'd like to find it a little bit, my audience more importantly wants to find it a little bit about who you two guys are, Steph and Vic. Yeah. Um, let's start with you, Steph. What's your deal like? You know, where you come from? You're born in Sydney, Melbourne? Well, um, I can probably um, speak for both of us because we kind of have parallel lives, right? Which is a bit weird. But um, we're both from Melbourne. So grew up in Melbourne and uh, met each other at uni. Which university? At Melbourne Uni. I mean, Melbourne University. Yeah, yeah. So and what were you doing? Were you both doing the same course? No, no, we weren't. One of them. Yeah. So I was doing commerce arts and Vic was doing commerce science. And um, we would basically see each other at uni, but, you know, you'd more see each other at the bars and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And we ended up on the same sort of 21st circuit. You remember the, yeah, 21st. the great circuit? Yeah, and I was married at 20, so I didn't have a 21st circuit. <laughs> First <laughs> You had the wedding circuit. Out. I, was, yeah. I, I was way ahead of my time. Yeah, you really <laughs> also were. Also, getting divorced, I was ahead of my time at that too. But... <laughs> Sorry, go on. It's not about me. It's about you. Done. Come on. <laughs> Paving the way. And um, at one of these 21sts, we're normally the last people on the dance floor, and we were like, all oh, right, you know, how are you going? What are you doing this um, – Oh, we're talking about we're both going on exchange to uni, right, to do like our last year of uni overseas. And Vic was going to Europe and I was going to the US. And there's that big break when you start in a uni, um, in an overseas uni because they've got a different semester. So we're both saying we're going to Europe. Like, who are you going with? Um, No one. All right, let's go together. So we just said on the dance floor, we're like, I'll meet you in Marseille, at the McDonald's in Marseille on this date. Well, that took, um, that was a little bit tricky to find someone um, at a McDonald's exactly. in Marseille. No, that was it. That was the well, only direction. She looked like. There are four McDonald's in Marseille, it <laughs> oh, turns really? out. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, yeah, so we found and each no other eventually. Phones. No and mobile. no mobile yeah. phones, that's no, right. No, no internet. Um, so we eventually found each other and then we spent the next sort of three or four months travelling together. And we've been best friends ever since. Can I ask you a question? Uh, you just painted a picture. A lot of my audience are... Uh, well, socioeconomically broadly sp- spread, like, mm, you know, yep. some went to uni, some didn't go to uni, some come from working class, some others come from uh, you know, middle class, upper class, whatever. Mm. Um, just paint a picture as to your background. It, and I'm not making judgments, but like you've got two blonde girls, two Aussie blonde girls, mm. both blue eyes, mm. who have done extraordinarily well for themselves sitting here today, where you're at, um, both at university. I mean, it, it does sound like a bit privileged. I mean, tell me a little bit. About, I mean, I don't care if it isn't. It is or it isn't. Mm. I mean, my kids are privileged, so it doesn't matter. But I just want to know, build, a, build me a story up here as to prior to you two doing your last year of um, your degrees at university, Melbourne University, very good university, off to Europe for your last year. It sounds a little uh, cool and really good, like it's mm. a bit dreamy. Um, give me some shit. What? Give me. Tell me about the struggle. Is there any struggle going on, or no struggle? And it's okay if it's not, because I'm sure you struggled in business. But I need to establish where you came from and where you sit. Yeah. So um, I grew up in a um, small business family. So yeah, I had a wonderful childhood. I'm one of four kids. Um, but yeah, it was certainly up and down, right? Well, what and did your parents do in terms of small business? Yeah. So my um, so I was born in Saudi Arabia, right? Um, so Arabic. Well, no, because I'm a female, so I, yeah. Um, No, so um, my um, parents were from the country 
in um, Victoria, um, went overseas and ended up working there to save, you know, money and so on in the 70s, which was pretty full on. Yep. So I was born there and moved out to back to Melbourne when I was around um, two and a half. And so um, my parents then put their savings into a, a burgeoning business at that point, McDonald's actually. Like your right? franchise? Yep. Wow, yep. Cool. So one of the first ones. And so that was a um, very much building up the business. So my dad was, you know, everything into the business, hardly ever there. Because yeah, they're like, you know, in those days are long hours. Long hours. He was doing um, sort of three shifts a day. So the morning, the middle and the night. And mum was pregnant. Our house was falling down. Four kids. Well, um, Yeah. So it was, um, and then I remember, you know, the recession as well where it was pretty full on. Which um, one are we talking about now? In the 90s. Early 90s, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just, and every night at the dinner table was about the business all the people issues and cash flow and all Sort of stuff we're all putting over now. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely, right? And, you know, there were definitely good times as well and I was, you know, given a lot of opportunities um, but always that sort of work ethic and how hard everything is and, you know, that sort of small business mentality and looking after your people and all those things are just like they're just innate. So where would you see yourself? Because, I mean, I, I got a view. I mean, I, I say it to people all the time. People say, you know, I'm working class and, and I say, listen, I work for my fucking self. I work for it. I work. I mm. work hard. So the way I see it is I'm working class. Don't matter mm. if I've got more money than someone else, I'm still working class in that I work hard. Yeah. I work for myself and I work for a living. Mm. It wouldn't matter whether you work in the government or where. If you're working, you're working class, the mm-hmm. way I see it. Anyone else who doesn't have to work and can sit around and, you know, scratch their ass and money falls out, well, that, that's not working class. That's <laughs> privilege to me. Mm-hmm. So do you see yourself in the working class environment? You grew up that way. Yeah. Because that's your parents. They, yep. they worked for a living. Yeah. Um, do you so, still see yourself as being someone who who came from that environment? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Vic and I talk about it all the time. We're full of small business owners, right? Yeah. It is hard. Yeah. It is up and down. It's a roller coaster every single day. My husband has his own small business as well. And, you know, Vic's husband runs um, runs a business as well. It's like all of us, we're always talking about what's this going to be like in a month in, you know, a year's time. It's just, it's really hard. I mean, I guess the the obvious follow-on from that, which is sort of in the bio, by the way, for, about you guys, um, is that what we are familiar with, you growing up watching your mum and dad, you know, build up a McDonald's franchise mm. and, and, and the effort involved in it, um, what we grew up with and what we saw, as opposed to what we were told, what we saw is a lot of times where we end up doing ourselves, just a different name and Slightly mm. different environment. Yeah. You're probably slightly more privileged, but not much more. But mm. the same amount of effort for the same amount of reward in a completely different industry is required, and but it's not foreign to you. Mm. So you see recessions, you see changes in the structure like we're seeing now. Whilst it's challenging, um, you can handle it because you saw it with your own parents. It's sort of innate. Mm. Um, and I think that's important for our audiences like that. And they come from all different sorts of walks of life. And some, you know, they might have gone to school at Cranbrook, but they're still working for their living today. Um, and some might have gone to school at Fairfield, but they're still working for the living. And they're the same sorts of people. I just want to make sure that we can identify with everybody because, you know, I want people to identify with you. I don't want them to get the wrong impression. Oh, Mark's got two blue-eyed, blonde-haired women in who have got university degrees, who went to Europe for a gap year, whatever the hell you call that. You're not a gap year, but whatever it is. And uh, now got a really successful business. How fucking lucky are they? 
I'll never get there. That's what they're thinking. Mm. Mm. I don't want people to think that. Mm. How important is it for you? I mean, I'm going to go to you now, Vic. How important is it for you in terms of paying forward your success and your experiences? Yeah. For you to think that other women are going to say, no, 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 no. You might have brown eyes and dark skin and dark hair and you might have two foreign parents um, and live in the West of wherever. Um, you can make it too. What would you say to them? Well, I think we can, um, I mean, definitely I everything that I did, I worked and paid for, you know. Um, so I think everything that, you know, any bit of travel, any bit of um, even my, um, you know, back then, Hex was more affordable, but I paid for that. You know, I paid still for. still got to pay it off. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly, right. So, um, and it's stressful. Know, so stressful. And, um, and, you know, I worked hard to get into university and, you know, I worked hard to get a um, job on the way out and, um, and then, of course, you know, into our careers and, you know, so I think, you know, as long as we've got that work ethic behind us and we've got determination and that grit to sort of make it happen, I think, you know, I really um, believe that everyone ha- can have um, the opportunity to, you know, really succeed and um, to have a really rewarding uh, life as well. So um, my first few months in the workforce, I was in the dot-com, I was working for Accenture, but I was in the um, experience of dot-com boom. Was uh, it like late 90s, was it? It was 2001. Yeah, okay. Yeah, May 2001, and I literally started in May 2001. And it all and fell apart later that year. It, yep, absolutely. Yep. And then um, 9-11 happened. And um, they asked us to take a sabbatical pretty much for um, six to 12 months. And um, that was really confronting because all of a sudden you're out, um, not earning, and, you know, you've got to find a new job in a very down market, um, similar to what we're going through now. Um, And it was really, really hard because you had these dreams and aspirations and expectations and then all of a sudden, you know, things had changed. Um, But really, you know, those times are the times that you face yourself at the bottom and then you got to pick yourself up and move on. So I think, you know, every time people are faced with challenges, um, it's the way that they are able to sort of approach and handle them. And I know some some are much worse than others and, you know. Just because, um, I mean, they, we keep, keep hearing that the outcome of this COVID environment, which we're in the middle of at the moment, is that we're going to kill off a whole generation of young people and their aspirations because they're the ones going to be most heavily affected in the future because of all the borrowing the government's had to do and the way we're going to have to dig ourselves out of this, mm. et cetera. But at the same time, you know, I've been through the GFC, you went through the GFC. Um, Steph was saying she went through the recess, re- recession in the early 90s. You more, more than likely did too, mm-hmm. Victoria. You, yep, you're the same age, obviously the same age. Um, I've been through three or four of these things, like going even beyond that. And, yeah, sure, COVID's pretty tough. This could be the worst we've ever had, but they said that about the GFC. It could be the worst mm-hmm. we've ever had. And uh, the one prior to that was probably the worst we've ever seen. Like, you know, 9-11 was the worst we've ever seen. Like, it just keeps going to keep getting worse. So there yeah. will be something worse. It doesn't matter whether there was something better before. It matters whether there will be something worse after. And therefore, you think yourself lucky. Yeah. I'm experiencing this and I'm getting – and I'm going to get myself out of this. I don't want to harp on about this, but there is a perception in the world today – amongst people in their 20s or 30s and, and slightly older um, and younger women especially, that it is very hard, which is what Women in Tech Month for me is all about, is to show everybody that there are women out there who are doing great things and they don't give a shit about what's holding them back. They don't sit around one, worrying about what's holding them back. They're just going to do it, okay? Yeah. So there is a perception out there and I think I'm hoping to um, debunk this myth that 
the only people in this world who can do well are Australian women who are really bright <laughs> and uh, they went to the best schools and uh, and look what happens. They get a they get to university. They go they go and get a job in some great place, KPMG or PwC in London. And then uh, mum and dad lend them money, and they run off and set up their own business, and they're wildly successful. <laughs> One of the great things about me getting you in here mm. is for you to debunk that. I really need to hear it, and I think my audience needs to hear it. Mm. To me, it's all about the shit you had to put up with and how you dealt with it. Yeah. Would you like well, to make a commentary on that? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, we don't look like tech founders, right? And if we can do this, anyone can. And the reason is because any of our background, any of our background, like any education, that had nothing to do with um, how successful we are at Beam or not, all right? So we started- So you want, can you just stop there? Can I yeah. ask you about that then? Yeah. So are you saying that you don't need to go to university, in your case, you're at Commerce Arts? Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to have a Commerce Arts degree. I mean, it might have- it's a good thing to have, but it, it's not a necessary condition. Well, I met Vic there, so that was probably the best thing to <laughs> yeah, come yeah. out of okay. it. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, 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 well, by the way, that's that's sort of important. You did meet someone there of like mind. Yeah. But but well, you think, could have met her somewhere else too. Yeah. Look, I think, you know, that gives you the next opportunity, which gives you, you know, experience, and it's all that experience and richness that you can draw on. And certainly, um, you know, Vic runs the tech side of our business, and I'm like, you know, what she comes up with is incredible. So I'm sure that you're... Vic, your, um, you know, all of that experience is drawn into it. But we started the business with um, a six thousand dollar tech investment. We haven't paid ourselves, right? So we it's been very lean. We built the smallest thing we could to see if there was a market, to see if we could, you know, if there was something out there, if our hunch was correct, right? And we got a little bit. So then we put, you know, we got a little bit of revenue in, and we kept going like that. So we've gone down the route of saying. We want to make sure that this, um, you know, if we if we think there's a market here for, you know, what we're trying to do, that it's commercially viable, right? Because if people don't buy it and if you can't make a profitable business out of that, then it means it's not, there's no market there. It's not commercialised. You can't yeah. commercialise it. Yeah. So, so most tech businesses and what we've been told time and time again, in especially in the first, you know, two or three years of Beam, was that that's not how to run a tech business. You need to get investment, pump, you know, pump um, money into it to get users on board. You don't worry about the profitability. You don't worry about revenue and you go, 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 go to build users and make it big enough that then you can sell it. Build economies of scale. But sell it, right? Yeah, yeah, so like a, yeah, yeah. you know, loss um, leading sort of um, business. But lots of audience. Yes. And lots of lots of people in your marketplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but that's that just didn't sit right with us. So we've um, bootstrapped or, you know, just um, basically self-funded the business through incremental revenues that we've had and a couple of government grants that we've worked, you know, really hard for, a couple out of a lot that we've applied for, mm. um, you know, to be able to build this business. You know, and, and along the way, you know, people, they don't look at us and say, oh, you know, they look um, like they're privileged. They look at us and say, oh, well, um, ladies, you know, you're, you're talking about a tech business. This isn't a lifestyle business, you know. So they make all these assumptions yeah, about yeah, totally. us that well, that, we're And that's not, what I'm trying to debunk, all the assumptions yeah. and all, all the myths. Yeah. So if anything, you know, people looked at us and said, well, they're not tech founders because they're not 20-something males who are going down the, you know, traditional path of building their business. And do you have families? Both, we do. Both yep. of you? Yep. You're so both mums? We are. Yep. Yeah. We both have three kids. Yep. 
And you both got three kids. And awkwardly, they're also the same age. So Are you serious? No, it's weird. <laughs> nine, seven, and five. So really, what I what what I got here sitting in front of me, and our audience is listening to, is two ladies um, met at university. Um, bootstrapped their own business, haven't taken on any investors or didn't take on investors in the beginning, um, did it all themselves, um, raised three kids, obviously got supporting partners, husbands, yeah. and having them come from privileged environments, aren't actually, don't realise that you're um, inspirational to others. You're not out there to sort of wave the flag, I'm out here because I want to show everybody that women can do it. But by the way, that's the most powerful way of actually showing that women can do it as well as men. And this is you know, because... I know that in the tech industry, it is you're a, you're a technology business in terms of how you deliver your product. Most technology businesses have been run by men and established by men in this country, and it is actually tech in the tech space. It is dominated by men, and most people make the assumption, "Oh, they're the only ones who can make it." And everyone uh, out there, people out there in my audience, here, they're all thinking, "Oh, well, I'll never get there. I'll never be able to create a marketplace using technology and a good product um, because you know that's dominated." by guys who, come, who have a computer science degree. Well, that's all bullshit. My, my experience is what you end up doing, people like you, two women, actually employ the computer science degrees to mm-hmm. do your dev work, to develop the software. Would that be about right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, we have incredible um, developers that we work with. Do you, uh, uh, do you have them here? Or yep. Do you, yep, yep. Yeah. So they're, um, you know, they're, they're world class. And I'd love to see... Absolutely, more um, more tech talent in Australia. Absolutely, um, men and women, um, and certainly, yeah, we'd love to see a lot more women in tech and being able to, um, you know, really be those CTOs in businesses and um, and step up. And I think a lot of that will come, um, you know, as we start to see more women come through as tech founders. And but I think also, you know, Steph and I both grew up. Um, being told by our parents that we could be anything that we wanted to be and not being funded by anyone or being told. It was just there are, you know, you are a woman and you're, you know, you're entitled to everything. And we're very privileged to live in Australia. I think that's our privilege, really. totally. And uh, I think that's why when, you know, I stepped into the workforce and I think I can speak for Steph as well, you know, I didn't really see, you know, obviously there were tons of men around me but I grew up with three older brothers as well. So that was just normal for me. And I didn't feel that I was, um, and I probably was excluded from things, but it was just a very familiar, um, you know, in work environment. So I don't want to sort of encourage this, it's us and them mentality between men and women. I think, you know, I have the most amazing husband. Steph's husband's incredibly supportive as well. And, you know, we're, you know, as long as we can, you know, work together and um, provide opportunities for everyone to be that person that they want to be, then we'll have a much more equal environment. And that means that we will see more women um, probably step into tech roles and we'll see, you know, maybe more men step into more of the female roles as well. Over time, we're going to start to debunk some of these myths around who should do what. Um, So, yeah. Boom. Nailed it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is really important for me. I want to talk about Beam in the second half, but it's really important to me and I think our listeners, which is why we decided to have a women in tech. It could be women in anything for that. But I, but I will say that um, I think it's awesome that you're running the focus on women just to put people, just to shed a new light, right? Tell some 
different stories that throw a new beam. What's a what what's you a say? Beam, beam a light. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Um, so you know because female founded businesses do get less than four percent of funding in Australia. And is that right? Yeah, that's it's just yeah. So I think that one of the myths is that there are no women. Right? There are no women tech founders. There are no women for leadership roles. There are no women who are qualified for the job. And that's why we just don't make any progress on the representation of women in these things. It's like it's a presumption. It's a presumption, absolutely. But it's not true. It's just that the very traditional ways of um, defining what those roles need to look like exclude a lot of people and most of those people happen to be women. So, for instance, a lot of what our business does is says, well, what if we open up roles beyond full-time, right? Let's just say that, just imagine a world in which every role doesn't need to be full-time. Well, when we do that at Beam, 87% of successful candidates into those leadership roles are female. It's just that the way that we take them to market, the way we talk about them, the way we talk about tech founders have to be 24-7, locked in a, you know, cell with, you know, yeah. um, that's that's not how women run their business. So if that's what investors want to see, then they're going to miss out. On so it's the rules. Talent. You're saying it's it's the assumption of the rules that are actually probably locking a lot of women out and the rules aren't necessary for success. You can have a change in the rules, which opens up the whole market straight away. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'd say to anyone looking to start a business who feels like they don't look like the typical tech founder or whatever, or even if it's not a tech business, because- if you really believe in your um, what you're doing and you can really see that there's a need there, it's going to be hard any which way, whoever you are. Yeah, right? and whatever you're doing. Whatever yeah. you're doing, it's going to be bloody hard yeah, like every totally. day. And even when it seems like the business is going well, it's still going to be bloody hard. So you, you just have to forge your own way. Just know that there are, you know, many roads lead to Rome, right? There's not just one particular way, even if people tell you again and again, that's not the way to do it. You have to do it this way, right? Or what you're doing over there, that that's not the way to be successful. You just have to really believe in yourself and that path and just be confident. I mean, yeah, we, we should have been a lot more um, confident in our path earlier yeah. on. And I'm, 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 we've got to go to half time because the bell rang and have yeah. some oranges. And uh, <laughs> after half time, we're going to come back and talk about your business. And I want to know what drives you guys, you know, why do you feel driven and what is it that drives you every day? Because you've got like kids. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't imagine how tough it would be at the moment. Um, <laughs> kids at home. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, homeschooling or whatever the mm. case may be. Um, husband may be at home too, which could be even a punish. Um, <laughs> you know, because there's too many people around. You've probably got a dog each. Like, you know, yep. there's a dog's going to get fed and dog's going to walk. Yep. And then you're trying to run the business as well. Like, I just, yeah. yeah, I want to talk about that stuff. What drives you? And then I want to talk about your business, your, your concept, your business model and your financial model. So I'm back from the break and I'm here with Vic and Steph, and I want to talk about their business called Beam, and we had the explanation as to where the name came from, but like, well, one of you or both of you at the same time, I reckon you two could talk exactly the same time and exactly <laughs> in time because you're like two peas out of a pod. What does your business do? So first off, it's a marketplace and it's run by technology, right? But what is your marketplace? 
Yeah, so firstly, I mean, I guess broadly, BEAM looks to basically bridge the gap between the uh, demand and supply of flexible work. So at the moment, the demand for a part-time outstrips supply by 11 to 1. So there's more people, more businesses who need to employ part-time professionals, are we talking about? Yeah, so we're talking about part-time professionals, but it's actually the demand Just for part-time generally part-time. work. So we're talking about the talent yep. who are wanting part-time outstrips the supply by 11 to 1. Okay, so the point being, mathematically, if you want to get a job, you're more likely to get a job as a part-time person than as a full-time person. Is that right? No, so no. company, not enough companies. It's so cute the way she put her hand up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a method of communication. Uh, I love it. <laughs> so geek, maybe you sound like a geek. You are, you're a tech. Okay. You're a tech, come on. Fix the techie one. No. Um, you're the sales. You should be bolshy in there. <laughs> so basically... Too many companies only think in full-time terms. They think in very you're, traditional. You're in terms of employers, yep. 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 Too many employers. So it's just boxes on an org chart, right? We employ no one or we employ someone full-time. Right. Right? Where if you think about all the talent, all the people out there who can offer their skills, actually 94% of them want to work more flexibly, right? So the demand. Does that mean part-time? Part-time definitely is a key part of and that. And what does part-time mean though, by the way? Is that like? A, yeah, one to four days or yeah. it could be five days school hours or something like that. Yeah, so it's yeah. around sort of Less 30. than 40 hours. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. More like um, 35 hours and below. Right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, but, you know, part-time's had a pretty bad brand and a pretty bad rap. Is that in right? In the past. Yeah. I mean, it's looked at as a, you know, administrative role. It's, oh, you know, casual yeah, work yeah, 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 yeah. and stuff like that. So when someone says that, you know, oh, I'm a whatever data scientist or whatever um, and I'd like to work part-time, people are like, oh, they mustn't be committed to their job or they mustn't be serious about their career. You see people's careers stall when they ask for part-time for whatever reason. And so what we saw is that, you know, why we set up Beam is because there's this huge dropout or drop back of women from the workforce around that kind of management level. Right. And then people say, well, where are all the women in leadership? Oh, no one wants to be a leader when they're female because they're home looking after the kids or whatever. And um, Vic and I went through this situation. We would be surprised to hear simultaneously at different um, <laughs> organize, at different corporate organisations where we'd, you know, worked so hard, like blood, sweat and tears, right, to sort of build our careers and to get into these leadership roles. And Vic was at Google and I was at another multinational you know, then we had one kid each, two kids um, each. each. Then it just became basically impossible to hold down this leadership role and be that, um, you know, leader. Or that full-time person. Full-time who person. Who then becomes a leader. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that's right. As well as um, any kind of parent that you want to be. So you maybe are you, saying to me that, are you saying to me that this is another rule? But if you want to be a leader, you got to be here full time. That's right. Yeah, absolutely, hundred yeah. percent, more than full time, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full, and full time means, by the way, it could 60 be sixty hours. hours. A week. Yeah, yeah, correct. yeah. That overemployment. So I basically yeah. want to. I, I just want to rip as much out of you as I possibly can because I'm going to give you all the responsibilities and I'm going to pay forty. But you know, you got to adhere to your responsibilities, that's deliver. Because right. that's 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 a really interesting point. Because I, I, this whole COVID period, Steph has actually indicated something interesting to me. I don't think. The leadership team, I don't think my leadership team, Yellow Brick Road, for example, is working as many hours in the office now at home, but the, but my output or their output, I should say, is the same. Yeah. So I think they're probably working less hours. That's right. And if, they're actually- Less traveling hours as well. Yeah. So overall, out of a 24-hour cycle, 
they should have more hours for themselves and less hours for, say, the business. I'm paying the same, same amount of money, but I'm actually getting the same output from them as yeah, well. So right. they're sort of working part-time in, yeah. in, in well, terms of hours. And if okay. there's a silver lining of all of this in, incredible like period of stress and upheaval and horrific um, ripping out our businesses and everything else, then I think it's basically we're seeing a mindset shift at a national and probably global level that might have taken 50 years otherwise mm. because – I mean, to us, as we look at how to structure work, how to build teams, how to grow teams or scale back or scale up, it just doesn't make sense that you would do that in blocks of 100K or blocks of, you know, full time. Or 40 hour people. 40 hour people. It just doesn't, you know, you need incremental resources, incremental skills and capabilities, right? But also the most productive way to work surely isn't bringing everyone into the one location at exactly the same time every day and everyone leaving at exactly the same time every day to all leave and commute home at a, you know, in a time that's different to a school hour or whatever. Like it just, it doesn't make all sense All on the train at the same time, all on the bus at the same time, all trying to deliver their kids to the um, preschool, yeah. mind, pre-school day mining place and pick them up, up post-school day mining place, yeah. the same place. Because all that does is it congests all the demand into a certain amount, number of hours during the yeah. day which makes it more expensive for you to put your kid yep. in one of those mining joints, whatever it happens yeah. to be. Yep. I mean, it's, it is a bit silly when I think about it. I've never really, th- but really thought that through. But do you guys think there'll be a restructure in the way we work following this? Yeah. Look, I think um, prior to COVID, there was, I mean, one of the biggest challenges to accommodating more flexible work was mindset, right? And Steph just mentioned that this is a global mindset shift. And so I think we. What do you mean by that mindset? So, you know, well, no, you can't, you can't work from home. I mean, we need everyone in the office. Um, I was a bit that way myself prior to this. And now I'm thinking, no, around the other way. That's right. I mean, there's interesting things around uh, real estate as well, right? So there's a discussion around, um, you know, does it make sense for me to have, you know, the same size office? Not anymore. No, that's right. You know, there will be things that start to get people to think differently around how work needs to be done, how many people can be in the office at one time, um, but also do we need people to be in the office? And I think there's also been a huge shift to technology. So people doing um, video, that is becoming the norm now, uh, whereas before there was a bit of hesitation. But the other thing is, is that, as you mentioned before, it is forcing people to prioritise what they're working on and really deprioritize the things that aren't important and possibly aren't um, time critical as well. So you're working possibly on the, and hopefully on the highest value things in your role that need to get done um, and and probably casting aside some of the things that you've been doing for a while that pro- aren't necessarily bringing enough value um, to the business. Yeah, so what we're really interested in is what are the most productive ways to work, yep. right? What are the ways that make sense to help businesses grow as quickly as possible? Or if they need to make adjustments to shift down, like what we're seeing now, to be able to shift and um, flex their kind of workforce around, right? For instance, you know, you asked, are businesses going to change the way that they work? I think we're seeing not only can people work remotely, but yeah, people can work very productively in, for instance, 25 hours a week. So, you know, research has shown that that's the most productive time period for work in a week. That's interesting. This is about like on average five hours a day. Yep. Yeah. That's so that, funny. I, I only just said the other day, I said, I reckon your productive hours in a day when you're working from home, for example, yeah. is like about six hours and probably the same at work, but the rest of the time you're bullshitting around. Yeah. Yep. 
You walk yep. across the road, get a coffee, you know, talking to someone, walking down the thing. I don't know, you know, all the shit you're going, yeah. with, going with. You know, you'd probably take half an hour to get started up when you, once you get in the office, you have a coffee, you have a mm-hmm. biscuit. Yeah, because you're also expected to be there from eight till six. Yeah, yeah. So, you know what, you may as well come in, then go and get your coffee and yeah, everything Yeah, 100%. Else. Not saying that people are slacking, but just no, there's wrong if with the that. mindset just the of when you're expected to be at work for a certain period of time, that's kind of you're settling into it. Where if, for instance, you have to drop off your kids at school, then you've got five hours, then you have to pick them up again, you're going to smash through that work. No lunch. Right? You rip right. Just ab- Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like what's the most important thing? How can I smash it out? I need to get this stuff done. I, You know, it just forces you to be really focused. And so, you know, what businesses have an op- opportunity to think about is why am I paying people 40 hours a week when I could be – Paying people twenty five hours. I want to a stop week, you there. Can I, can I? Is Beam then part of? Are you now promoting? Is this part of a revolution? In other words, why yes. am I doing this, or is this part of an evolution? Yeah. Let's just do this. No, this is right now as a point in time it's a where we can yeah. yeah reimagine the way that work is done. So we what Beam does is we design work. So we design jobs and teams and the way work is done so that it can be done in all different ways, not just this full time equivalent forty hour week. And what that is, the huge power of that, is that we are giving more work opportunities to people who are normally excluded from this work. We're seeing increased workforce participation, more women in leadership, even though this benefits everyone, right? Everyone should have flexible work and opportunities to do part-time, dip in, dip out, scale up, scale down, all of these things. But people want it and it's good for business. And that means that it's good for the economy, so let's this say is I, what will drive economic growth. Let's say my business is mentored, right? And let's say I'm looking for a uh, a person, male or female. Are you you're doing both, male or female? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep. A, a person, male or female, um, to be um, a part-time general manager of my business. What does mentor do? What do I do? Tell me the process. Yeah, so uh, you can literally just sign up on Beam. So I, I go to Beam. I, I, on I, a I website. Go, go to your website. Yep. Um, um, I sign up what, as like, an employer yep. for Beam yep. and then uh, you would go in and select um, how you'd like to post a, a, a job, yep. right? Um, so you'd want to be – or you can also speak to us beforehand and we can talk you through what that job might be for four days a week because what you really want to think about is if um, you've already had someone in that role doing five days – then what's the 20% of work that's going to come off that person's plate to do the four days? Um, Problem is I probably wouldn't know what that person was doing or alternatively I might be looking for someone to step up from two to four days. Yep. Who do I talk to? How do I find out what I need to say? Because I'll be limited by what I actually post in terms yep. of the job. Yep. The job yep. How do I work through that process? So our team absolutely support the you know this discussion and so they'll support the thinking through of what are the additional um, pieces of that work for someone who might be stepping up into the role or even what that role needs to achieve, right? What does it need to achieve as an outcome for your business? And then once we've got to that, then we can either assist you in posting it or you could post it. I mean, we want to make it as self-service as possible to minimise the time for um, employers. And really what we're trying to do at Beam is reduce the time to fill. So we've got an existing incredible talent pool of um, 75% women, 25% male. Already on there as, as supply. Yep, yep, absolutely. So so how do those people? Find like, us. Yeah, how do they become on your, as part of inventory, pardon the word, but how do they become your supply? Uh, yeah, so look, we've been um, around for uh, three and a half years. So we've been talking to the market and um basically advocating for these um, these people, you know, during that time. 
And um, so we'll generally, I mean, obviously through advertising and through PR and, you know, a lot, you know, people will hear about it. And there's a lot of referrals that come from people because this is a huge need in particularly in Australia, right? Um, there's a, there's nowhere else really that offers solely part-time work in Australia. Um, and so that's where we get this, you know, we do get the advocacy um, and the referrals um, of people to us. Um, but also we will, um, we will take a lot of the hard work off people's plates as well. And, um, we'll advertise, um, through LinkedIn and seek, um, and ensure that we're sort of. For the employer or for, for the, employer. the employee? Yeah, employee. for the employer yeah, to employee. be able to ensure that you're sort of getting a good, um, chunk of the market. Yeah. So you'll aggregate the other platforms as well for That's the right. employer. Yeah. And what do you charge the employer, the person who's, yeah, the person who's seeking the, the staff member? Yep. How does that work? Do you ch- charge on success or you charge a, a, a monthly fee or what, what's the deal? So for SMEs, mm-hmm. we um, we either do a $500 job post that just goes out to the Beam network yep. or we can do a um, $3,000 package that essentially manages to a shortlist of a minimum of two really qualified and awesome candidates. Right. Um, and actually to date, we have an MPS score of almost 100, right? Wow. You know, in terms of... In other words, everybody's been satisfied. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, the, the experience, I think, that um, Vic has really been behind is incredible. So you know how for a lot of business owners, finding talent is annoying, hmm. it's a pain in the neck, um, don't find the talent you need anyway, take the best of, you know, the lot that you've got, or, and, and you know, recruitment's super expensive. So what um, we've been able to get the technology down to is you basically get on, you post a role and what you'll get is vetted talent. So everyone's um, been viewed by us that they're relevant for the role and they're good. And then you can ask them three specific questions and they'll record a one minute video intro. So you just really quickly get down to who is appropriate for you in terms of culture fit as well as skill set. And then it's a matter of um, bringing them in for interview. And I think that's why people love it. And do you, do you, do I, if I'm the employer, do yeah. I organize the interview? So like you, 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 you matchmake us. Is that yep. how it works? Yep. And then I'll say contact like this person and I'll yeah. say, look, would you like to come in for an that's interview? That's right. That's yeah. how it works? Yeah. 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 And what about things like um, CVs and all that sort of You'll stuff? You'll see the CV through yeah. the platform as well. So yeah. through the, each person's application will have their answers to the three questions through the platform, um, their CV and their salary expectations as well as their video recorded. So I get to see them. I can say, oh, this is Vic and, um, you know, she looks into the camera. She's at least I'm getting a sense because, you know, we we rely on our eyes to make judgment straight up. Absolutely. um, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And do you charge the employee, potential employee? No. 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 So there's like a a free service, so to speak. That's right. Can can I ask you – what drives you guys to do this? I mean, are you trying to make a fortune out of it? Are you what's the? Are you trying to list it on the stock exchange or put it on the Nasdaq or what's your deal? Like, why are you doing it? Yeah, look, I think Steph referred to before the fact that we were both impacted by this personally, and um, I guess we both hit a really critical point in our lives where we were forced to make this decision of all in on a career or all out, and it was at that point um, that we we both fell out of the workforce, right? And as we looked around, you know, we realised that we were only one of, you know, millions of people who were impacted by this. And so, you know, we're, we're women and so there was, you know, the large majority of them, as Steph said, were um, are women. But there's also, you know, men that are excluded. 
you know, we talk about athletes, people with side hustles, um, you know, uh, carers of the elderly or sick, um, all these people who can't necessarily participate in this 40-hour work week. Um, this Or don't want to. Or don't want to, right. You say, exactly. what the fuck? I mean, I only want to work 25 hours a right. week. You're I'm happy scale- to be productive and valuable, but I, I don't, I want, you know, I want two days a week, extra two days a week instead of four day, two days a week. I want four days a week. Because I want to hang out with my grandkid or I want to hang out with my kids or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And as especially, you know, um, when people are looking at pre-retirement, um, wanting to just scale back a couple of days, as you were saying. Or even retirement. I'm retired, but I'm not going to be, I don't want to be retired. Yeah, I'm that's 65. Right. I don't want to be sort of stuck at home mowing the lawns and uh, playing bowls. <laughs> that's right. I want to work three days a week. But you want to be, um, and you want to be active, yeah, and um, there's just so much value that you're able to give back to the economy as well, right, or to a business, an individual business. So um, I guess, you know, when you ask about that, I mean, the purpose is for us to be able to provide more work options to people and to have greater workforce participation. So it's not saying, you know, they can only be part-time or full-time. We're saying that it's just adding more options to the economy. Um, and the other thing is, is that, um, you know, we know that this is great for small business as well. And we know it's great for big business too. So, um, for small businesses, finding, you know, talent is the number one driver of growth for businesses, uh, in Australia. Mm. So if we can provide a platform to unlock new talent pools that are, you know, really experienced, as well and give them an opportunity to tap into those platforms, then we know that that's going to be a driver of economic growth as well. I actually quite see your business, particularly right now, as potential part of nation building because, like, we have to rebuild the nation and I'll Mm -hmm. be honest with you, like, uh, part-time work will be a new nation building um, essential Mm -hmm. going forward. And, I I mean, I just want to make an observation. You're both very poised and uh, very polite. You don't swear and stuff like that. And, uh, and you know, you're nicely dressed and you're both responsible and your mums and you've got a business and all that sort of stuff. But what I get a sense of is deep down there's this bubbling rebel in you, like the rebelling against concepts. Like yep. I get this feeling that you like to say, listen, fuckers, as far as <laughs> we're concerned, the systems doesn't work. We need to make a change. We need to make it fast and we need to make the change permanent. Thank yeah. you for saying it for us. Yeah. Yes. This is, this is I right. Could, we so wanna, I really wanted to get Steph going because I could feel it. She's bubbling up like she's jumping oh. through the microphone. But that's yeah. is that right? Well, it's, so, also, it's, yeah. it's totally true. We want to see, we end this FTE, this mm. concept of the full-time equivalence. Yeah. Just people do the same thing in the same way year after year after year, right? And the people running businesses just stamp out what they've known before. And it's not optimal. It's not optimal for them or for the people that want to work, or for the economy. It just right? makes sense. It does make sense. And what you want to really shine a light on is this bullshit FTE concept. Well, and also the fact that we're working in an industrial revolution work model, and it's try- we're trying to force fit it into a digital age. Yeah. Right. It doesn't work. I mean, who works forty hour weeks anymore? And there always is a bit of concern around part time because it's underemployment. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll cha- what, change employment calculation then. Just say absolutely. That, because, that's just bullshit too. Well, let's also look at overemployment. Yeah. I mean, how many people are working sixty-hour weeks totally. that is having not only an impact on their health, um, their physical health, but also their mental health. Right. And they're not and getting paid for it either. I mean, someone needs to get to Australian Bureau of Statistics and say, "Get with the fucking program." Yeah. You know, yeah. like seriously, guys, this is the digital age. Yeah. There needs to be more flex in everything we do. Right. Mm. Well, and the the great thing is that business owners everywhere can vote with their feet. 
right, is it's good for their business, but it's also good for the economy. So for instance, if they've got 25K that they can spend, they don't need to save up till they've got 100K they can spend on someone full-time. They can spend that 25K on a digital marketer right now to grow their business. A day a week. Right? Or a CFO, Mm. right? Or whatever it is. Like they don't need the full-time. It's kind of over-capitalizing on the capability they need. So one of the great things about our model is, and what we measure our success on, and what another thing that drives us is that um, we measure the impact on the economy, right? The job creation. So when we see a new job created because someone's coming to beam to employ someone part-time before they ever would have full-time, just because they've heard about the concept, oh, I didn't realize I could get someone into my business for 40K a year or 60 or 80 or whatever it is then um, we measure that job creation and we've um, generated more than 17 million in new jobs to the economy over the last three years. So what we want to do and why we're a tech foundation is we want to blow that up, right? Just increase that scale. It's a global problem. It's a global solution. Um, It's more efficient and optimal for everyone. So Basically, we just want to educate people about there's a better way to do business. Oh, I love that. Better way to do business. We've got two uh, revolutionaries in this <laughs> um, studio. Oh, wow. Right now, um, they're testing all the concepts of business, particularly when it comes to the employed. I love the concept of let's throw the FTE concept out the window and start all over again and, and like actually build things that fit and work. Mm-hmm. Work for everybody, mm-hmm. not just the business, but also the employee and also for our lifestyle and actually how we live our lives. I mean, yeah. I, that's to me, everything's changed. And like, actually, COVID's, you know, with the greatest respect to all those people who are ill, who have passed away, et cetera, and for all the families who are suffering from that, um, COVID actually has been a bit of an injection in the arm for us um, that has said to us, you better stop and have a look at what you're doing and the way you do it. I can tell you right, right now, in relation to my business, 100%, I have now looked at how much real estate I've got to rent. Why do I need to have 250 people in at once? Maybe I can have 125 and 125 and how many need space for 125 and the other 125 can stay home. Then I can flip them over the next week. Maybe, I don't know. But I'm just going through all these thought processes about changing the way we operate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I quite like the idea of actually changing it from the, the – and I, I haven't thought this through, but as a result of listening to you, I'm now going to start thinking to myself, hang on a minute, do I need to have 40-hour full-time people working, you know, like – eight hours a day, five days a week. Because what we're doing at the moment, for example, to ensure that everybody doesn't, um, you know, rot me, you know, we've got, you know, 8.30, everybody's got to be on there. You've got to be on there with the leader. And then at uh, 9.45, you go on with your uh, colleagues and, at, you know, like we're, we're putting in systems to try and just check on people really when mm. you – really yeah. should be about output. And That's it's trust. Right. You know, it's just this trust that, you know, if you've mm. hired the right people, you – you're hiring them to get the job done. Mm. And I don't think you need to have, you know, all these check-ins every day necessarily yeah, yeah. to be, um, you know, ensuring that they're doing that. Um, they're, I'm sure they're highly capable, highly able to execute on their, their jobs. And if, they don't, if they're not, they don't belong in the business. That's right. Yeah. And just one thing to add, you know, imagine if you didn't, you only had 125 people in a day. That's 125 people off the roads or off yep. public transport. So there's, you know, huge wins in terms of, you know, these peak hour traffics that we've had, you know, for, for years in our infrastructure that just can't simply continue to expand over time. I mean, there, you know, there's cost with that, but there's 
there's simpler ways that we can ask businesses to think differently that takes a lot of pressure off, um, you know, our, our roads and our transport system that is in addition to the economic benefits of working um, more flexibly as well. So I've been asking all the questions. What question would you might have for me? What do you want to ask me? Um, well, we know that this is good for business. How do we get the word out? So how do we educate businesses that there is a better, you know, completely different way of growing their business or for, you know, running their teams more efficiently? Well, that's an awareness campaign, obviously. Um, and you're, you're in the tech space. Um, the best way to build awareness campaigns today is using technology. Um, I guess uh, a start is being on this show for a start. Um, you, know, this, you know, I have a big audience and my audience will listen to it, but you have to actually probably hit the audience, audience up, my audience and all audiences up four or five times before it actually sticks. Mm. Um, and I would be chasing you every single podcast you possibly can get, you, you know, get into. Or alternatively, you need to hit every single outlet, news outlet, radio outlet, PR outlet, pitching your idea in because they are all desperate for content and new styles of content. Mm. This is particularly relevant right now because COVID's made you more relevant. Mm. You were relevant before, but to a media outlet, you're more relevant Mm -hmm. because that's all they're talking about. So they'll get to a pit time where they get sick of talking about the number of people that got COVID and the number of deaths and the, you know, et cetera. They're going to get past that and they're going to now start to talk about, I think they're getting there now, they're going to start talking about um, what do you do post-COVID? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine trying to find content all the time? Yeah, yep. Now, you've got to play the market. You've got to play everybody, you know, find people who are w- women podcasts, business podcasts, uh, new ideas podcasts. It's better if the the media environment gets a direct email from one of you or both of you as opposed to coming through media agencies because they just throw those away. They, they get them all day, every day. I don't suggest you start getting on Instagram and Facebook, all that sort of stuff. I think you've got to get to news outlets and or current affairs outlets. So you just need to follow those organizations and get on top of it. I mean, LinkedIn's a good one. <laughs> LinkedIn's yeah. a beauty. Um, maybe you need to talk to LinkedIn. Go and see LinkedIn yeah. and say, listen, do you want to run a series on something? So LinkedIn's always trying to do educational stuff. They've got um, Linda. I don't know what they call it yeah. now. It's that other thing yeah. they've got there. So I would be looking at every place my audiences, my potential audiences sit and going there and pitching a story, free content for them. That's what I would do. Mm. I did that in the old, early days of the wizard business. You know, there was no internet, there was no digital marketing. But what I made sure is I was available to give them content for free whenever they wanted it. Mm. That's the way to do it. Find out who needs content and give it to them. Yeah. For me, this restructure of the way business is done, both in hours and who does it and where you do it from, to me is like a tidal wave. Yeah. Well, necessity's mother invention, and I think you're right at the forefront of inventing this. Thank you, ladies. Steph and Vic, you're from Beam. For me, it's not only a great business. It's a great concept at coming through at a really relevant time. And thank you very much for being part of Women in Tech Month. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 